Killer Conspiracies, a Utah true crime podcast with Kobe and Brian. My name is Ted Bundy. I killed her. Now that time I tied him up. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. I uh, was saving body parts such as uh, skulls. As well as cannibalizing and raping their headless bodies. Hello, hello. Yes. Yo, you are. I am now. Huh? (laughs) Do you want to let them know about our new. Yes. Yes, we have. Before we get started into our stories, we have an ad from some podcast friends over at the Sins and Survivors. We will let you. We will let them tell you about themselves, but. I think it's a great podcast. It's a victim-centric podcast focused on domestic violence, which is a good thing to have, have their stories out there. So Brian will now play that ad, and when you're done with our show, go over there, follow him on everything. All right, let's play it. In the heart of the desert, where dreams are made and fortunes are lost, lies a city that wears many faces. But beneath the neon lights and dazzling facade of Las Vegas, there exists a world shrouded in shadows, a world of untold secrets, sins, and survival. Welcome to Sins and Survivors, a Las Vegas true crime podcast. I'm your host, Sean. And I'm your co-host, John. Join us each week as we delve into the underbelly of this vibrant city, exploring its most unsettling true crime stories where the stakes are high and the truth is often darker than fiction. But this podcast goes beyond the crime scene tape. We unravel the intricacies of domestic violence, exposing the raw and haunting realities that echo through the city's streets. It's a journey through the lives of survivors, the strength it takes to overcome, and the sins that stain the neon skyline. From the infamous strip to the quiet suburbs, from the vast Mojave Desert to the depths of Lake Mead. We bring you tales that make you question everything you thought you knew about Sin City. Sins and Survivors is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now to uncover the stories that lurk behind the dazzling lights of Las Vegas. Because in this city of illusions, the truth is the darkest bed of all. smooth all right yeah go go listen to them and then now let's get into our stories i'm going first this is a very well-known case and it's this is gonna be a long episode but so pull pull up them bootstraps or lay in bed and get ready to hear the story of the leather apron in 1888 first known as the late leather apron but as we now know him, Jack the Ripper, also called the Whitechapel Murders, is a series of murders mostly in Whitechapel, London. But there is some conspiracy to this case, but not 
really just some very, very similar murders that we'll get into. And there's a ton of suspects. And one of my favorite metal bands, and one of the best, got their name from these murders called Whitechapel. And if you look on my wall, there's actually a vinyl right here. Whitechapel. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, around poor areas of the Whitechapel district in London, five prostitutes were savagely murdered. But it is unknown how many possible victims there were. But these main five happened between 1888 and 1891. <clears throat> the women's throats were cut open, then he would mutilate their stomach areas, most of which happened outside during the nighttime. Some organs were missing as well, leading investigators to believe he had some medical or surgical know-how. Um, many letters were sent to the media and Scotland Yard, which I think is like the FBI over in those areas. Mm -hmm. And if I'm wrong, our UK, our one UK listener will have to message me and let me know. Um, they were believed to be sent by the killer, much like BTK and the Zodiac. One of them was called the Dear Boss Letter. Which I will now read to you, Brian, and the listeners. I'm listening. <clears throat> Should I do a UK accent? Yeah, I want to hear it. No, I'm not going to do a fucking UK accent. <laughs> Dear boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled grand work the last job was I gave the lady no time to squeal how can they catch me now I love my work and want to start again you will soon hear of me with my funny little games I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink fit enough I hope. Ha ha. The next job I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly wouldn't you? This is verbatim. I wrote this exactly how it was written. So don't come at me. <laughs> I'm having a hard enough time man. reading it. Oh, it's not done yet. Hold on. Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Truly yours, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before. I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. Which is... Okay, so... I don't... I don't remember if I wrote it in there, but there are, like, so many suspects. And there was one... There was, like, the one guy who found one of the first victims was, like... Kind of like a mail carrier. Mm -hmm. 
might be a suspect, but anyway. <clears throat> Here's another letter. But even with this letter, they think it was written by the media. Because we all know how the media is and likes to sensationalize everything. But another letter, like I said, the From Hell letter, was sent to the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. It came with half of a preserved kidney. So this starts from hell. Mr. Lusk, I send you half of the kidney I took from one, one woman, preserved it for you to gather peace. I, fry, I fried and ate it. It was very nice. I tried to eat it. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed. Catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. There were other letters, but I think these kind of get the point across. A police investigation into a series of 11 brutal murders committed in Whitechapel and Spitalfields between 1888 and 1891, but they were unable to connect all the killings conclusively. The five victims that everyone attributes to Jack the Ripper are Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. These are known as the Canonical Five, because they believe these are the only five he committed. Their murders were between August 31st and November 9th, and often considered the most likely to be inked. These murders were never solved, but were somewhat linked. The police service estimated that there were 62 brothels and 1,200 women working as prostitutes in Whitechapel at this time. And there were approximately 8,500 people residing in the 233 common lodging houses within Whitechapel every night, with a nightly price for a coffin bed being a four pence, equivalent to two euros in 2021. Oh, yeah. Eleven separate murders, like I had said, stretching from April 3rd, 88, to February 13th, 1981. 1891. I keep wanting to say <laughs> These were all included, and they would call them the Whitechapel murders, too. But... Again, they only think the five. Most experts point to deep slash wounds to the throat, followed by extensive abdominal and gen genital area mutilation, the removal of internal organs, and progressive facial mutilations as distinctive features of the Ripper's modus operandi. Which is like... So, first two cases in the Whitechapel murder files, those of Emma Elizabeth Smith, Martha Tabram are not included in the canonical five. Smith, who was robbed and sexually assaulted in Whitechapel, she had been bludgeoned around the face and received a cut to her ear. A blunt object was also inserted into her vaheen, rupturing what? her peritoneum, which is like the skin between the bunghole and the lady bits. She developed arianotitis and died the following day. 
Smith stated that she had been attacked by two or three men, one of whom she described as a teenager. This attack was linked to the later murders by the press. The other lady, Tab Tabram, was murdered on a staircase landing on August 7th, 1888. She had suffered 39 stab wounds to her throat, lungs, heart, liver, spleen, stomach, and abdomen, with additional knife wounds to her breastuses and vagina. All but one of her wounds had been inflicted with a bladed instrument such as a pen knife, which is a really thin, long knife. With one possible exception, all the wounds had been inflicted by a right-handed person, but she was not raped. But now, after that, I didn't write all of the suspected ones, because I didn't want this to be too long, but we'll get into the five known. The body of Anne Mary Ann Nichols was discovered about 3.40 a.m. on August 31st in 1888 in Bucks Row, Whitechapel. She had last been seen alive approximately one hour before the discovery of her body by a Mrs. Emily Holland. I think I can say her name because I don't think she's alive to this day. You know, it's been over 100 years. Who knows? You never know. And whomst she had previously shared a bed at a common lodging house, walking in the direction of Whitechapel Road. Her throat was severed by two deep cuts, one of which completely severed all of the tissue down to the vertebrae. So, she had basically been decapitated without being fully decapitated. Her vagina had been stabbed twice, and the lower part of her abdomen was partially ripped open by a deep, jagged wound, causing her bowels to protrude. Several other incisions inflicted to the both sides of her abdomen had been caused by the same knife, and they believe these were inflicted with a downward thrusting manner. Oh, so, no. yeah. And I have some crime scene photos that I will not be able to post anywhere. Because there is one where it's like the only actual picture of a victim and it is disgusting. You can just look them up. Because fuck. Maybe you could put it on even the look... fan Discord page. For the two of us? No one's joined our Discord, Brian. Maybe they will after <laughs> posting that Maybe. Pictures. Maybe that's what we should start doing. Put gross crime scene pictures in the thing. <laughs> anyway, so one week later, on September 8th, the body of Annie Chapman was discovered around 6 a.m. near the steps to the doorway of the backyard. Sorry, Cassie keeps messaging me after I sent her that funny video of me singing that song. Um, as in the God damn it, I'm all messed up. As in the case of Nicole's, her th this lady's throat was also slashed. Her ab abdomen had been cut entirely open and a section of flesh from her stomach being placed upon her left shoulder. With another section of skin and flesh, plus her small... Oh, Jesus Christ. 
her small intestines. I'm just going to turn my phone away. Being, okay. Her autopsy also revealed that her uterus and sections of her bladder and vagina had been removed. What the fuck? Yes. And while they were investigating, they believed she was in the company of a dark-haired man wearing a brown deer stalker hat and a dark overcoat. And this is what they called, but I don't know what the fuck it means, shabby genteel appearance. And according to eyewitnesses, the man asked Chapman, will you? To which Chapman replied, yes. So, I don't know. I wouldn't even know what that is either. Yeah. Well, the next two victims were both killed in the early morning hours of September 30th. So these were both killed the same night. So... The cause of death was a single clear-cut incision measuring six inches across her neck, which severed her trachea and artery, before terminating beneath her right jaw. And they believed that he was almost caught doing this one, because he did not mutilate. He just did that. He then left, and the same thing they described in the same way. The other lady's body was found on a corner in the city of London three quarters of an hour after the discovery of Elizabeth. Three quarters of an hour. Holy shit, man. I don't even know what that is. that 15 minutes? Three quarters of an hour? Yeah, that's about... That's okay, we'll say two minutes. Anyway. So, her throat was severed from ear to ear, her abdomen ripped open by a long, deep, jagged wound before her intestines had been placed over her right shoulder, with a section of intestine being completely detached and placed between her body and left arm. The left kidney and the major part of her uterus had been removed, her face had been disfigured, her nose severed and cheeks slashed, and cuts measuring an quarter of an inch and half an inch respectively vertically through each of her eyelids. Holy shit, man. Oh, that's not it. There's more. A triangular incision, the apex of which was pointed to her eye, had also been carved upon each of her cheeks. A part of her lobe on her right ear was removed. Guess how long it took him to kill this this woman? About like a quarter of an hour. Five minutes. So they believe the time five of death and when she was found was about five minutes. And she was probably awake the whole time, dude. Yeah. So. And this is the, the last one. So, the extensively mutilated and disemboweled body of Mary Jean Kelly was discovered lying on a single bed, on the bed in a single room where she lived. 
on November 9th. This was the only one that was in a home. Wait, what do you mean by that? The rest, all these other ones were done outside. What the This was the only one inside. So, she'd been disemboweled, lying on a bed, like I said. Her face had been, quote, hacked beyond all recognition, unquote. With her throat severed down to the spine, and the abdomen almost being emptied of its organs. Her uterus, kidneys, and one breast had been placed beneath her head. And some other parts by her feet. Like he stitched Sections of her... No, no, he just set him there. Sections of her abdomen and thighs were placed on the bedside table, and the heart was missing entirely. And they believe, because they had found ashes in the fireplace, that he had burned several combustible items to light up the room. So... But one thing about this, like I said, they were all at night, on or close to a weekend, and at the end of a month or a week. And if you can't tell, the mutilations became increasingly fucked up as they kept going. Like he was just so, getting creative then, huh? Yeah, he was just losing his shit. So... I'm not going to get into all the suspects because it's already almost 9.30. But one, there's one, like, big sus. There's, like, two big suspects I'll kind of talk about. But there were many similarity killings to this all over the world. So they think there was a guy who was a sailor, like a merchant. Because there was, like, a random murder in Wisconsin that really resembled these. And if you are on the ocean from the UK to here, you can get right into the, what's it called? Like the Great Lakes of Michigan. Yeah. And there's one guy, like the guy they're thinking it is, was in prison for a murder and admitted to his lawyer that he was Jack the Ripper. But he only admitted it to his lawyer and his lawyer's the one who told everybody after he died. So is it true? I don't know. Did they ever catch the guy? No, these are unsolved. Holy crap, dude. But they, there's also... Do you know who H.H. Holmes is? No, who is that? Oh. Dude. That's like America's first known serial killer. He made a murder castle in Chicago in the 1800s. And they, they're always like, oh, he killed, like, over 200 people. But really, he only killed a couple. Uh -huh. But they think that he could have been Jack the Ripper. And maybe I'll tell that story on the next episode. Okay. That's it for my story. This is unsolved. And I didn't want to get in. Because there are so many murders that resemble this from back then. And it was hard enough writing this. Because there's so little information. But yeah, let's get into... Brian's story. Yo, that's wild, dude. He was basically right. like a scientist trying to... Or a experiment. surgeon? 
their surgeon, yeah, trying to experiment or something. You know? Yeah. You're, you're definitely going to have to do the H.H. Holmes, though. That sounds interesting. I'm going to have to take a look at that. Yeah. Yo, let me know if I'm spitting in the mic, though. You're good so far. Okay. All right. Mine's pretty long one, but I'm doing another creepy pasta this week. Um, look like you guys like the creepy pasta, so I'll just keep doing them until further notice. We'll see. On and off, on and off. But mine is on a cave div diver's worst nightmares. So if you're a cave diver, you can kind of resemble. Um, so it starts off. Resemble? Is that the right? Is that the right word for? No. It? no. You can get get an idea. There you go. Yeah, that works. You can get yeah. an idea of it. But so first off, it starts off with. So it's two brothers. It starts off with. Never leave the line. Something we heard the diving instructor say countless times in our cave diving class. If you can't see the line that leads back out of the cave, then you are in trouble. My brother had become obsessed with the cave diving. What had been a casual hobby had turned into a burning passion for him. And because I was his diving buddy, it didn't take long before I found myself in cave diving certification class the first time going scuba diving was wonderful i never had hey, a brian can you turn your mic up just a little bit let me see if i I'll, no, I'll i had a few closer. people message saying that you're really quiet okay that's better let me Sorry. turn it up all the way okay how's that okay now push your mic out a little bit <laughs> Right there? Hello, yeah, hello, testing, testing. Oh, oh, that's getting me going. Yeah, <laughs> read that story. <laughs> Alright, the first time going scuba diving was wonderful. I never had imagined there was an entire um, intricate world beneath the waves. I could have simply done open water diving for the rest of my life and be... I sure like out more. <laughs> I try to be loud now. <laughs> I know, but you're like... Okay, right here? How's that sound? Oh. Yo, yo. Make a noise. Huh? Oops. Yo. <laughs> no, make a noise. Make a noise? Uh... Oh my god. Okay, just read. Just <laughs> read. <laughs> and bank, bank content. But that was not what my brother was like. Let me know, Kobe, okay? He was yeah. always he was always pushing to try a new new exciting challenge. And this had gotten us into trouble more than once. That was that was why I should have known to pump the brakes when he started talking about cave diving. There is no doubt in my mind that cave diving could be wonderful, peaceful experience if done right. But the combination of my brother's ego and the deceptively dangerous pitfalls involved with cave diving should have sent me running for the hills. My brother has spent quite a bit of time searching the different caves to dive around where we lived. He kept saying the word siphon over and over, 
and finally I asked him what it was. Most people cave dive in springs where the water flows outwards and the current will push you towards the entrance. A siphon, however, is when the water flows into the cave, pulling you away from the entrance. It seemed like the ultimate test which was irres irresistible to my brother, who was in a constant state of having something to prove. That was why, before completing our certification, we had taken off for an underwater cave in Pennsylvania. My brother argued that we had more than enough training. Being certified in advanced open water, for some reason I went along with it. We were headed to the entrance of an underwater set, uh, system referred to as Conkey Hole. My brother had mentioned that it had been part of an old Native American legend back when the Lenape tribe still lived in these parts. He said that a young man, after being rejected by his love, dove into the hole and only a pool of blood came out of the other side, miles away where the underwater cave system flowed out onto a bay. At the time, I had laughed and rolled my eyes. After a long car ride, we had researched the dive site. I was surprised at how deserted it was. It was just a small pond in the middle of Pennsylvania. There was a bed and breakfast in the distance and a Christmas tree farm. But other than that, it was quiet. That's it, I said. I was expecting something bigger. There is an entrance somewhere in there, he said. There was a fire in his eye which was infectio uh, infectious. I was starting to see the appeal of going exploring, but I wonder if we really were prepared. It is well known that only those with proper cave diving certifications are allowed to go diving into caves. We were not yet certified. My brother kept saying that's that because we were certified for an advanced open water diving, we would be fine. I was starting to have second thoughts as we approached the, this murky pond. We suited up and began to dive. The dive. The water was a little cold, but I quickly adjusted and became accu uh, accumulated to my new surroundings. As I started to look around, my first thought was that there was nothing that interesting. Maybe our trip had been a waste of time. The pond wasn't that big, not more than 50 feet in diameter, and it seemed to be mostly shallow. But as my eyes darted around towards the bottom, I saw what looked like a small fissure. My brother had been uh, seen it too, and he immediately started swimming for the ent entrance. I followed, being relatively new we both had a single tank set up which only afforded us at um, about 45 minutes of air the rule was to use a third to explore at a third to get out and a third just in case of emergencies that was why we had agreed to only be in there for 15 minutes before turning back we swarmed closer to a fissure and i was expecting for it to be more pronounced. It was only small crack just big enough to squeeze through. These are known as restrictions and have been known to be the end of many cave divers. Get st stuck in an underwater squeeze 
and you will run out of air, especially from all the panic breathing which drains your tank. This restriction, these restrictions were just type of things my brother loved. He immediately began to wi um, wiggle his way into the fissure. He began to kick up the mud that pervaded um, the bottom of the pond. It was becoming difficult to see him, but after a brief struggle, his body disappeared through the fissure. I was next. I must admit that squeezing my way through sharp rock surfaces with sensitive gear that my life depended on was not my idea of a good time. I figured, if I can make it through this part, then it might be worth it. I started wiggling my way in. The rock face on either side was surprisingly sharp. I shimmied on and noticed a turn. I had to rotate my body around to be able to bend through. I kept forcing my way deeper into the fissure. I hope I'm saying that right. And sure yeah. enough, thanks, Kobe. And sure enough, uh -huh. after a time, I broke free into a large chamber. The only light was very faint coming from the tunnel I had just passed through. Only a meter into the chamber turned to complete darkness. I could see my brother there shining his light around. I was truly a wonder to behold. In all directions going out, there was a blackness. And who's to say how far out it went? I immediately understood why people did this. I shined my light around the entrance and along the wall. There was mud and um, interspread, I think that's how you say it, with striking orange rocks. It felt like being on another planet. The light eventually tapered off into the blackness. My brother tied off a line to the rock face and, after making sure it was secure, started frog kicking along the wall. Together we started down what seemed to be a large tunnel, <laughs> though we could only see one side. Occasionally a, a critter would swim or crawl by and this gave me a sense of ease. At least we weren't the only things down here. Something was able to survive. We moved deeper into the cave, frog kicking. Careful not to kick up too much debris, but neither of us was very good at it. Nonetheless, we pressed forward into a large chamber, deeper, farther from the entrance, further from air. Almost all at once, the mucky orange rocks turned into a pinkish hue, as if we had entered what seemed like another biome. Alright. Yeah. Pick your mic out a little bit. This is a little. Yeah. Salactites. Salactites. Thank you. By the hundreds, eerily. How does that sound? Yeah. It's good. Coated the ceiling, and I gazed with wonder as my light passed over them, over only for them to once again fall back into the infinite darkness in which the, they dwell. I was surprised to see the occasional smaller pale uh, crustacean, crustacean walking about. It seemed like a place so inhospitable. Uh, what does that so say? Inhospitable. So inhospitable. Inhospitable to life. Yet here it was. My brother seemed eager to see what was around the next corner. 
We were getting deeper and I looked at my dive computer. We still had several minutes left of air, but my brother's kicking made me nervous. He had started flood, flutter kicking to get himself deeper. It was starting to kick up all types of debris. As the cave system went deeper, I could see that it branched off into several directions. My brother tied off the line he had been laying as we had been instructed, but before I could catch up to him to signal the, to frog kick, he was already off again. I love diving, but my brother has this nasty habit of turning fun into competitions. This wasn't the first time that I felt as though he was acting dangerously during a dive. I was going to really give it to him when we get out. He continued unrelently towards what looked like the next restriction. He positioned his body and began to shimmy his way into the, these, this crack. This was the part that... What? I'm just laughing because you said crack. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, dude. This was the part that always made me nervous. Many cave divers preferred to use a side mount rig or a rebreather called the sidewinder to be able to fit into tighter spaces. Being relatively new to this, we had tanks mounted on our backs. This made it more difficult to pass through the restrictions. What would happen if we get if he got stuck and couldn't pull it pull him out? Going through restrictions while cave diving was is very very dangerous. Yeah, it allows you to explore a place that may never have been visited by humans in the entire history of earth that enticed me this enticed me it was truly the last frontier on this planet he continued to shimmy deeper and soon his fins fell into darkness i hovered there in the water for a more moment it, it can be much more difficult to back out of a restriction than going forward the last thing you want to do is create a traffic jam underwater with limited air. Still, as I tread there alone in this underwater chamber, which seems so isolated, so far removed from the rest of humanity, so far removed from all the comforts and distractions of daily minute, which present the illusion that being alive in this world is somehow normal, I began into the restriction. The last thing I wanted to do is have an existential crisis alone in the underwater chamber. The rocks were sharp and abrased my suit. I carefully continued to shuffle deeper into the squeeze. It was tight. At one point, I could only wiggle my leg a matter of inches up and down. I wasn't getting used to passing these restrictions. On the other side, I saw my brother again, shining the light around. He had already tied off another line and started swimming out into the chamber. I looked at my dive computer. We were deeper now, and we would have to turn back soon. We continue on through what seemed like an endless ma maze. It seemed to be a large tunnel carved by an underwater stream over millennial there was, there were massive boulders that we began to weave through. It was magnificent. 
the water in this chamber was or pristine and had yet to be mucked by our kicking. Yet I, as I looked around, I noticed that the slit or silt we were kicking up seemed to be drifting. It seemed that we had entered a small current. I knew it was time to call the dive, but in the distance, we both saw something large but very faint as our lights didn't reach that far. I was just as mesmerized by the object in the distance as my brother, and we kept drifting forward. It was then that my brother ran out of line. He swam to the bottom and tied off the line and looked to me to wondering whether or not I would tie a new line off. I shook my head and tapped my computer, signaling to him that we didn't have time to go deeper. His head pivoted back to the object and he strained to see it, stretching his light hand as far as it could go. He looked back at me and signaled to continue forward, and without any confirmation, he swam out. Never leave, leave the line, I scrambled to tie I scrambled to tie off my bright orange line to a small outcorp at the floor as fast as I could. What an imbecile. I finished tying off sloppy bowline knot and took off after him. My light found him still kicking towards the object. Thank God I could still see him. I kicked hard to catch up, then all at once he stopped dead. His body began slowly sink to the bottom as he remained perfectly still. That was when I finally got close enough to see what it was. Through the darkness, the large object was still hard to make out. The borders were hard to dis discern, but over the next couple of seconds, my brain put the pieces together and I lurched backwards, as if overtaken by some old... Uh, Mammalian, I think that's how you say it, defense mechanism. There was some kind of crustacean, or at least the lifeless shell of one that had molted. What was true, truly horrifying was the size of the shell. It must have been the size of a car. It seemed to have horribly long antennas, and there seemed to be the scant remains of only the remnants of what must have been an enormous claw. It seemed to be some kind of freakishly large cross between a giant prawn and a lobster, only long and streamlined so as to fit through the restrictions as it did, as we did. I shuddered as I wondered whether or not the cave system had been dug out by some horrid monster and whether or not we had intruded upon its lair. Who knows what types of prehistoric creatures lay in the depths of the, the earth. It was hard to make out its shapes as it was just discarded a discarded shell, and it seemed to only be a piece. My brother swarm or swam swam closer and I followed. He seemed to have figured out that it was just a shell as well. Hovering over it, we looked at each other. I thumbed the dive. The dive signed to head to the surface. To my relief, he nodded, and we began to swim back. Suddenly, I felt the line go slack. The only thing this could mean, it was that my knot had come undone. 
My brother noticed this and we looked at each other one more, this time in horror. I tried to remain calm and think of what, what to do. My brother started desperately fluttering, flutter kicking his way back towards where he had come from. But as I looked around my, with my light, there seemed to be hundred different ways to go. Still, we had tied another line off relatively close by. We just had to remain calm and work our way back. I was happy that I still had two-thirds of my oxygen left. My brother was moving fast and I was having a tough time keeping up. The harder I kicked, the more carbon dioxide was building in my body. I knew that I should slow down and breathe, but my brother seemed to be swimming faster still. He seemed to be desperately looking for the other line. I could feel my head start to swim, and I knew that if I kept, kept pushing myself, I would pass out. I slowed down and I kept my light on my brother's fins as they became, became fainter and fainter. I tried yelling through my regulator, but it was too late. He was out of sight. There I was, drifting helplessly. My line dangled there, limped in the water. I remember what the cave diving instructor said. It is, pan it is panic that kills people. I had to remain calm. I floated there for several seconds, just calming myself down. My breath started normalizing and I started to gather my wits. I had to figure this out. I had to swim towards where I thought my line had come from. The thing was that given the slight current where my line had come from might not be right. Still I had a little choice. I kicked back in the direction I came from, straining my eyes for a sign of my brother. I continued onward, checking my dive computer. I still had time. My light traits trace all of the walls and I try to make a mental note of an anomaly, any anomaly, anything that stood out, but everything seemed the same. Underwater rock faces that seemed to look just like the last. I continue out into the blackness. I could feel myself starting to panic again. I just had to find the other line. My heart soared as I noticed the other line from a distance. I swam towards it and gently held it. Had my brother found it, he may have been causing it to move, yet the line remained limp. I searched all around, but he was nowhere. I knew I was going to have to make a decision soon whether to look for him or leave him and get help. Something inside me told me if I went to go get help, it would turn into a body recovery. It is all well and good when death takes someone you don't know, but at the prospect of losing someone you have known your whole life and care deeply about, it becomes very real. I knew I had to go back and look for him. I knew that I had to use my reserve air to search for him even though it would likely mean that I would die too. Still, leaving your brother to die isn't a choice you can make. I reeled my line and went to tie it off again. When I noticed another line that I'd been tied off some meters away, I hadn't noticed it before it was blocked by a rock on the way in. I quickly swam over and expected it. The first thing that stood out to me as I, how it, old it was. It looked, like, it looked like it had been 
delayed this uh, decades ago. I didn't have time to think too much about it. The line led off into the blackness and I could only wonder where it went. Then the line moved in the teeniest amount. I grasped it generally with my hand. Sure enough, there was something on the line. I started to swim along its trails, always searching all around me for my brother. Eventually, the line led to the hole in the bottom of the chamber. As I approached, I could feel the current starting to pick up, and I realized that this was a swamp or a sump. Water was pouring into the hole. If I wasn't careful, it would take me in. That was when I noticed something poking out onto the lip of the hole. It was my brother's hand. He was there, hanging on de desperately, trying to get out of the hole. My instincts told me to reach out for him, but I knew that I had that I would share his fate, and we would both perish. I was on—I was his only hope. I had to use my head. My heart was pounding, and I start—and I started breathing, or I had started breathing faster. No doubt, this would be using up more, much more air than I could afford. Still, if I was able to free him, we would both likely get out of this unscatched or unscattered. Maybe he would even have finally had his fill of thrill seeking. I reeled in my line and tied it off thoroughly to a nearby rock. I made sure that it was it was tight. I then began inching towards the hole backwards, keeping my hands on both the old line and my new line. My brother's hand remained clenched like his life depended on it, because it did. I continued to back up over his hand. I could feel my legs being pulled into the hole with much greater force than I anticipated. Just as I expected, my brother's other hand swung around from my thigh and I latched on. The moment had come. I began to pull. It was working. Together we started to ascend out the, the sump. Just then I felt the old line break on the second. Both me and my brother were hanging from from my one hand. I let go of old line and I started to pull my way up the line with, my, with both hands. It was working. I continued to inch out little by little. I was hyper-focused, just locking, or looking at my hands. I was so fixated, I didn't notice that something else had entered the chamber. I didn't notice until it was too late. To my horror, the line went in slack again. My eyes darted up in disbelief. Barely visible in the darkness was a gigantic white claw. I only saw it for a split second as my brother and I and I went tumbling down the sump hole. The current was strong and we were pulled. Oh, one second. Kobe. I'm just sending you the info for the episode. Keep reading. The current was strong <laughs> and we were pulled along into a larger, wide, wider chamber. The current in this tunnel was even stronger and we tumbled along like debris caught in a river. In fact, that is what we were. We were struck in an underwater 
channel being swept downstream. There was no way out now. Even if we managed to stop, it would be impossible to fight a current this, this strong. I tried to look at my dive computer, but I was still spinning around uncontrollably. Occasionally, I would be thrust into a wall. On the third and fourth time, the light strapped to my hand, struck a rock, and the light went dead. Together. Almost all at once, we were swept out of the tunnel into a free fall. It was hard to say how far we, we fell. It felt like hundreds of feet, but in reality, it was probably more like 40. Upon landing, the water crashed on top of me and pushed me down further. I kicked out, and I started swimming for the surface in the direction I hoped it was. It was hard to tell the in complete darkness. Breaking the surface was a great feeling. I treaded there for a moment, moment before I carefully withdrew my backup light from a secure pocket. I turned on my light and looked around. I never knew such large chambers could exist under the surface of the earth. It must have been the size of, the of a gymnasium. I saw a pile of rocks in a far corner and swam for them. At least I, I could rest a while. I thought about what to do. I swam for the rocks, having no idea how deep the water below me was. I tried not to think of the creatures that could be lurking below my feet. Thoughts began to race through my head as I climbed out the water. Was that really a, was that really a claw that I saw? How did I not, how did it not, or how did it know to cut the line? If the claw was that big, how big was the creature it belonged to? How could a creature that size live in such a place? I swept the water with my light, hoping to see any sign of my brother. I was alone. I finally looked at my dive computer. I was surprised to see that I still had a third of the tank left. There was no way that I would be able to get back out the way I came, but at least I was in a large chamber with breathable air. You never know how much oxygen is, as, is in these isolated chambers underground, but I still felt fine, and I figured it was better to save the oxygen in the tank for when I would need it, though I knew any chances were slim. It was hard not to fixate on the fact that I was trapped and likely dead. All I could do was distract myself and try to break the problem down. I still had yet to see any signs of my brother. I scanned the water surface with my light. I knew I couldn't wait much longer. I had to go in and look for him. What if he was trapped and running out of air? I was almost certain he had tumbled down the drop into this chamber. I shined the light near the base of the waterfall. There was nothing except the constant rush of water. I put my mask back on and I walked with my fins back to the water edge and I waded in. I broke the surface and started scanning around my with my light. The chamber was enormous above the surface, but below it was even more vast. For as far as my, my light could see, we were rooms within rooms, thresholds which split off into what looks like hundreds of other passages. Indeed, were it not for the horrifying trip to get here, this would have been a cave diver's paradise. 
This was an entire unexplored world, something covered by cave divers alike. There were several piles of large rocks underneath the base of the waterfall. I explored this area further, though keeping a ca cautious distance. My brother was nowhere to be found. It was starting to feel hopeless, but I just concentrated on um, the task at hand. I had to find my brother as fast as I could, without panicking or over-exerting -ex um, myself. As time went on, it became more difficult to stave off um, the panic. I was breathing too fast, and I knew that I was going to run out of air soon. I knew that if I wanted to make a real play to escape this place, I would need every second I had left. My only hope was to find a way out with the oxygen I had, and if that failed, hunker down and hope that someone found me in this godforsaken chamber. My eyes frantically darted around, sweeping the different cave formations and tunnel entrances. Something caught my eye leading into one of the tunnels. A bunch of debris and silt had been kicked up and it seemed to lead into, a into the tunnel. It was only 30 feet away, though I knew this may be the last foray into the water I may have. I knew th that it was my best hope. I kicked over and started, uh, started into the tunnel. Visibly was poor. was poor and the tunnel broke off into many different directions but the trail was clear I simply had to follow the trail as um, silt that had been kicked up by and I was praying for was my brother I came out into a large chamber covered by the floor and ceiling with statically's and Stalactites and slagmites. Slagtites and slagmites. I remember learning that if an underwater cave had these, then at some point it had been a dry cave. This did little to mitigate, mitigate. mitigate the panic that was creeping up more and more. Every quick forward, I had abandoned the cave diving rules at this point. I had forgotten about running line altogether. I suppose it was irrelevant where my corpse would end up. I started to lose control of my breathing. It was getting faster and faster as I truly started to sink and how doomed I was. I stopped myself and sank to the bottom of the cave floor. Just breathe, I thought to myself. The diving instructors couldn't have been made or couldn't have made it. More clear to me during the hours upon hours of training I had in my I had in my life. If you panic, it's over. I stood there at the bottom and took a moment to simply calm down. Afterwards, I regained my composure and opened my eyes. Sometimes it is when we aren't looking for something that we find it, and no matter how hard we look, we can never seem to find our glasses that we were wearing in the first place. If I hadn't stopped looking, I certainly wouldn't have noticed it glimmering there. It was my brother's light. One of the rules of the cave diving is to have at least three lights. 
if your first one dies, you have a backup. If you drop your second one, you have a third. Many cave divers take four lights. Knowing my brother, he hopefully had two. But seeing as I didn't see one on him, when we went tumbling into the sump, it was possible that this was his second and last light. We were were that the case, it was likely that he was feeling around blind. The thought of my brother panicking on his last breath spurned, uh, spurned, yeah, spurned, <laughs> I think that's how you say it. And I set out yep. again with vigor, with a vigor. The trail of debris had subsided at this point, I was flying blind. I had no idea where he might be in, in this maze. I knew I was near, nearing my limit and if I wanted to make it back to the chamber with air, I would have to, I would have to turn back. I choose to continue. The likelihood that I would be found in the coming days was slim at, the, at best and I knew it. On the other hand, what if my brother was stuck or worse? After cho choosing to continue, Around the next corner, I shined my light around and saw my brother kicking towards me. But what was the biggest feeling of relief I had ever felt in my life turned to fear as I noticed he was shrieking through his regulator. He grabbed me and pulled me back the way I had come, then looked beyond him, and my heart sank. I was overwhelmed with the impulse to flee and did so as fast as I could because my brother was being tailed by two enormous prawns. They must have been as long as a car, and they were gaining fast. The mammalian, I think that's how you say it. Mammalian? Yeah, mammalian, I think. Instincts took over at this point. It was more, ref more reflex than anything else. We kicked hard away from these creat or those creatures, a shiver ran out my spine as I thought of their long, pale lobster-like bodies crawling along the walls of the cave, almost like a centipede. I knew that if they caught us, that we would be eaten alive. Suddenly, the prospect of running out of air seemed almost tri or trivial, as if it would have been a natural conclusion to our lives. There was nothing horrid or brutal about it. I wasn't going to die in that hellhole, and neither was my brother. We would fight. He was ahead of me, but being guided by my light as it was clear he had lost his, we rounded the corner into the room full of the... What is that word again? Stalaxes, what? Oh, stalactites. Stalactites. And back out into the larger tunnel. I dared not to look behind me. I pointed my light around the corner, but there, down the tunnel, were three more giant prawns. They're horrible. Pale bodies clawed towards us. A terrible loud shriek came from behind us, almost as if the prawns were communicating. We were cut off. Our only hope was to delve deeper. The next creature was 
was the time that seemed to last forever. It was simple. There was one goal. Stay ahead of the prawns. Around another or around another corner and into a vertical shaft. It got smaller as it did. I could start to feel a current pulling us deeper. We came to a restriction and I flashed my light back and saw the prawns tearing towards us. This was it. My brother and I started desperately squeezing ourselves into the restriction, forcing our way in as fast as we could. Felt like getting out of of the water with a shark nipping at your heels. Sure enough, as if these, I mean, if things couldn't get any worse, we both became wedged. My brother pointed to his tank and knew what he meant. We had to ditch the tanks to fit. Together we in claps, and I was surprised to see that it worked. He managed to pull his through, but mine was stuck, and I mean stuck. I ripped it, I ripped at it, but soon the prawns were on it, though the hole was too small for them to squeeze through. To our horror, they started digging. It suddenly became clear these creatures had built their this lair. My brother signaled for me to let it go and and we would buddy breathe, sharing what was left of his tank. We let go and began drifting together into the current. It, it seemed even stronger than before. We continued buddy breathing, though I could see the tank was empty. Breathing started to become more difficult as we exchanged glances. He took a long deep breath and handed me to regulate uh, the regulator, indicating I'd do the same. Together we tumbled down the underwater chamber on our last breath. The tank had run out. We ditched it to the bottom of the floor. At least, maybe the next couple hundred of years, this cave system might be mapped and we might be found. And at least our fates will be known. It was strange. But there was some comfort in this. Everything started to become cloudy as the carbon dioxide started to build up in our bodies. My brain started to desperately cry out for air after only about 30 seconds. A headache started to creep in. The current carried us around another corner. I couldn't believe what I saw. It was light. It was a light at the end of the tunnel. I thought about where I was. In some underground chamber below the earth, below the surface, soon about to have drowned. How could I have guessed that what they said about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel was would be so literal? Though as I tumbled closer, the details became clearer, it looked so real. That was when I noticed the ceiling had changed. There were air bubbles around the top. Then there was a larger pocket. Then, there it was. The surface. Together we swam up and breathed. How foolish it is not to appreciate something so wonderful as air. We filled our lungs as the current brought us the rest of the way and dumped us out of the cave system altogether into a large body of water. The sun was shining over what seemed to be a large desolate lake. I can't remember if my brother started started it or I did.
but once we were out of the water, we both started laughing hysterically. Neither of us took our eyes off the water out of fear that those monsters would have somehow wiggled their way out of the their underwater lair. It is often said that the earth had been has been mapped, but I can tell you from my my own my own personal experience that there is still much we don't know about our planet. There are still many forgotten nooks and crannies that lay in the depths, and maybe there are better left alone. Source: The Creepypasta Scary Story is from the reddit posted by coding woodsman and that's my story hope you guys enjoyed dang dude i wasn't expecting it to end like that dude i saw i read this one a long time ago it's pretty i think i want to figure out how to do it like so i guess you would have to add sound effects though but it gets intense, you know? It gets real intense, dude. But I would yeah, I never, thought it was going to end differently, but... I would never do that shit in my life. Never. No. You got no. me effed up. But shout out to the people that do it. They have big ballas. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I, I would rather skydive than do that. Yeah, be trapped and stuff. No, forget that, dude. Yeah, it's it's not for me. That was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was long, but it was good. Sorry, dude. Honestly, I didn't feel no, like it good. was as long as the last one. I don't know. But, but either was... way, that's it for... That's it for tonight. Hope you guys have a good night. Until next week. Yes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Killer Conspiracies. I'm Kobe. That's Brian. Please rate five stars. Follow on Twitter, Instagram, at KillerConPod. There's a Facebook group and page, Killer Conspiracies with Kobe and Brian. And if you have any requests or anything, email us at killerconpod at gmail.com. Please share with all your friends. Thank you. We will see you next week.